how many believe the Bible has better advice than the world does when it comes to anything, but especially about the way we manage our material world? I've been doing a series the last few weeks called Blessed, and it's simply been an opportunity to look into the Bible and to see how, what the Bible teaches us about living with the favor of God in our material world. If you're here on a Sunday morning, more than likely you have some level of love for God. I can guarantee you that. But I also know that you want to have a good life. You want to be able to pay your bills, have some fun, take a vacation, provide for your kids. Everybody said? Yeah, it's something we all share. I mean, we're not going to get up and go to work tomorrow for nothing. We want to be able to make money. We want to see favor on our life. No one in here wants to see money just slip through your fingers. No one in here wants to be in debt and controlled by it. No one in here wants to be stolen from, and everybody wants to be blessed. Well, how many know blessing comes from God above? And that's what we're doing in these last co these couple of weeks, looking into the Word of God for His favor. It's two central truths that I've taught you. Number one is that God is our provider, which simply means wherever it comes from, whether it comes from an insurance company, whether it comes from a check, whether it comes from a retirement, an inheritance, or whatever, ultimately God is behind it. Now, how many know food doesn't come from Albertsons? They don't grow it in the back. They don't have cows out back. It doesn't come from there. There's a truck that brings it up to Albertsons, and then that truck got it from a distribution center. But somewhere it had to go back to a field. Come on. Somewhere that apple had to be picked from a tree. Who's the one that makes it grow? God is the one. And this is something I've tried to teach you is to recognize each day. Is we're, Jesus told us to pray, give me this day my... Yeah. So you're on your way to work and the secular mind would say, well, aren't you crazy? No, I'm going because this is the way God's going to use to provide for me. So God's our provider. And number two, there's been three big words. It's the word faith, obedience, and generosity. Faith simply causes us to believe God, to look to Him, to trust Him. Obedience is our way of living the life that gets us in position for favor. And generosity is the lifestyle rather than living with clenched fists. We care for people. We invest in the kingdom of God. We don't just consume it all on ourselves. First Timothy chapter 6. Turn with me there. Let's begin there. It's, in my opinion, one of the most balanced scriptures in all of the Bible on money. It, uh, it deals with so many different topics. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, the New Living Translation. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. Well, let me suggest this to you. Our definition of rich is probably somebody that has more than me. I mean, rich, rich people have a little bit more than me. Well, listen, let's compare ourselves to most of the world because most of the world lives on pennies a day. Most of the world doesn't have the abundance. So I would suggest we're all in that category. And the first thing it said was don't be proud. Because how many know if you've got money in your pocket, money in the bank, money in the pike, how many know you can tend to think, I'm okay because I'm in control now? Don't do that. Don't look to yourself. Don't get arrogant. Don't think that just because you made money yesterday, you'll make it tomorrow. Or just because you had it yesterday, you'll have it tomorrow. Don't be proud. Don't trust in your money. God wants us to trust in Him because money is so unreliable. Which simply means, you know, the market's up one day, it's down the next. You got a job today, you don't tomorrow. Today your business is booming, tomorrow it's closed. None of us know what the future is going to hold with this runaway debt in America. The value of our money, inflation, all those things, it's unreliable. But the Bible tells us again to trust in God. Don't trust in money, but trust in God. Look to Him. But then it tells us verse 18. This is kind of the balance. Oh, actually, it said, God, trust in Him who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Can you say enjoyment? 
So the Bible teaches when God gives you wealth, gives you resources, you don't have to feel guilty to go have a good time. You don't have to feel guilty if you can buy a nice car, go on a nice vacation. We're to enjoy these things, but it doesn't stop there. Everyone in America would agree with me that, it's okay, that we're supposed to enjoy money. But here's where, here's where we as Christians are a bit different. The Bible tells us to use our money to do good. Now, how many know you can either do good with your money or conversely, you can do bad or it can affect you negatively? You know, money is a lot of people fast-tracking to hell. It does, I'm telling you. Judas, how about him? Let's start with him. We looked at him last week. Judas fast-tracked him, 1 Timothy 6, earlier in this chapter. It says, be careful. The love of money is a, it's a root of all kinds of evil, so be careful. Here's the balance. Rich in good works and generous to those in need. Isn't that interesting? With our money, we're to do good, be rich in good works, and generous to those in need, always being willing to do what? Share with others. So the Bible teaches us that we have a biblical responsibility to be able to help people. Now, I'm not talking about uh, the American system of entitlements, and it's just almost the professional poor in America, that's this system we've created. I'm going to talk about that this morning. But I'm talking about our heart being that we care about people that we do something to invest in the lives of helping other people. And by doing this, verse 19, here's your reward. You'll be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so you may experience true life. Or your new King James says you may lay hold on eternal life. Well, what the Bible's basically teaching is what I do with my money today affects my future tomorrow. It affects God's provision for me tomorrow, but it's my reward in heaven. Do you remember in Matthew 6 when Jesus warned us not to lay up treasure on earth where moss and rust and thieves and all that, but store up treasures in heaven? Now, how many know there's really only three things you can do with money? Only three things. You can spend it, you can, you can save it, or you can give it away. That's it. Spend it, save it, or give it away. When you spend your money, you spend it on your needs. That's daily bread. Jesus talked about food, clothing, and shelter. He said He'd provide those things for us as we trusted in Him. We've got a level of enjoyment. And sadly, most people stop right there. I spend it on myself. I spend it on my needs. I spend it on my enjoyment. We need to be saving. That's a biblical concept. But, and a lot of folks save. But then there's something beyond that where we become generous and share with other people. And it's that thought that I want to focus on this morning in half my message. It was verse 18 that we read in Timothy that we're to be generous to those in need. Because the Bible will teach us very clearly as we help people, as we are caring for needy people, that God will see that and God will in turn, He'll bless us. So that's the first half of the message. The second half is going to be about what we call work. I'm going to teach you a biblical idea and understanding, a biblical ethic of what it means to work and why we work and what happens when we're lazy. But I think this will help you this morning. Let's, let's begin in uh, the book of Job, Job chapter 1. Now, when I talk about Job, what comes to mind when we say Job? Hardship, struggle, problems. Well, I want to suggest to you that's only part of the picture. Job lived well over a hundred years. And scholars tell us that the book of Job probably encompassed about three or four years. So what you read in about 40 some odd chapters is not very long compared to his whole life. I want you to see Job with me and I'll show you this from the Bible. Job was a wealthy, successful business person. Job was a wealthy person. He was successful in life. And the Bible is very clear to us that the source of his wealth was, guess who? God. 
God was the one that made Job wealthy. Wealth is not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. God blesses people with wealth. The challenge is, will it destroy me or will I use it in a good fashion? Job was wealthy, and then Satan attacked his life, and he lost everything. He lost all his resources. He lost his health. He he lost his family. He lost everything. But then, in chapter 42, Job is blessed with twice as much as he had before, And once again, the Bible tells us that God was behind it all. So let's look at Job's life, and I want you to explore with me why he was a prosperous man. Now, let's begin in verse 1. There was a man named Job, and notice these words. He was blameless, which means he was a man of complete integrity. He feared God, and he stayed away from evil. Now, this is a portrait of his character. It was a portrait of his lifestyle. It was his reputation. And I want to suggest to you, it was the foundation of wealth for his life. It's the foundation that God was able to trust him with. Because I want to tell you, friends, the Bible teaches us that money can corrupt us. Money can give us personal freedoms and liberty that we will end up self-destructing if we're not careful. But he had the character to be able to maintain that. And notice what it says, verse 3. He owned 7,000 sheep. I mean, that's a lot of sheep. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen. Now, whether a team had two, four, six, or eight oxen, that's a lots of uh, oxen. 500 female donkeys, as well as many servants. The Bible goes on to say he was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Now, I don't believe every Christian is ordained to be rich. However, a Christian can be rich. A Christian can be blessed of God. A Christian can be wealthy. And Job's a great example. As we're summarizing these verses uh, very quickly... The context here in Job chapter 1 is that Satan is having a conversation in heaven with God. And they're looking at Job, and and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? And notice what Satan says. It's on the screen. Satan replied to the Lord, You made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. Why don't you think about that? So Satan himself was able to look at Job's life and say, you're the one that made Job successful. You built a hedge of protection around him. You've given him all this wealth. And then something that no one can really understand, God gave him permission to attack Job, and he did. But Job's story did not stop there. You see, he was a wealthy business. The source of his prosperity was was from God. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.18 says, it is God who gives you the power to get what? Can we say it again? God gives you the power to get wealth. And how many know the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons? In other words, He didn't choose somebody to make them wealthy and somebody to be poor. How many know God gives us all opportunity? So, God, listen, God can give you the ability to obtain riches in life. That's a good thing. Now, let's skip ahead in Job's life, chapter 42. Now, we know that he lost everything. He went bankrupt. He lost his health. Everything was slipped through his fingers. He was an impoverished man. But in the end of his life, chapter 42, verse 10, it said the Lord restored his fortunes. Who restored them? Yeah. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. So here we got a wealthy man. He goes bankrupt, and then he gets twice as much as he had before. God was behind the source of his blessing. Now, I want you to think with me just a moment where we're going. Why or how did he become wealthy? Do you think Job bought a lottery ticket? Think he was playing a, a poker game with somebody and he won the pot and that was, that was you know, 14,000 sheep? No. Now, we know that his sheep were killed. It says fire from heaven destroyed all the sheep. All the rest of his animals were stolen. 
Now, it's possible that he was able to recapture it. It's been several years, maybe not likely. I would suggest to you, my friends, though the Bible is silent, that the most likely way Job's prosperity came back is by what we have come to call capitalism, which simply means Job bought and Job sold and he invested and he began to raise animals again. And whatever he put his hand to, God made it grow and prosper. You see, this is the way most wealth comes in our life because we work, because we labor. And sometimes it's just hard. You just can't get by. And, and every time you get some money, you get another unexpected bill and it takes it away. But then sometimes it just goes on and on and on and on. Sometimes you buy a herd and, you know, the cow is supposed to have one calf and every one of them is having two. I mean, there's a blessing that comes on our life. And Job somehow had this blessing from God. But I want to suggest to you that there's a reason more than his business savvy. There's something else, and this is where, the, where our lesson begins today. Why was God, Job blessed? Go to chapter 29, verse 12, and I want you to listen to the kind of person he was. He had character, number one, but he had a heart that cared for people. Now, remember in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that we're supposed to be generous and share with people in need? Listen to what the Bible says in Job 29, 12. I rescued the poor who cried for help. I rescued the poor and the fatherless who had none to assist him. In other words, an orphan. I took them off the street. I helped them. I got those kids in school. I, I spent time with them. Verse 13, it talks about a man who was dying blessed me. So Job cared for people at the end of her life. He was not a user. You know, when, when life became, uh, your life was slipping away, hospice is there. Job was right there. He was meeting needs. He was bringing food. He was caring for people. It didn't stop there, though. I made the widow's heart sing. And that doesn't mean he took her on a date. It simply means that he would provide for her. Because if you didn't have a husband, particularly in those days, and you didn't have kids, you were in big, big trouble. But Job would care for them. Verse 15, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. In other words, people who were disabled, I helped those people who couldn't work, who couldn't do what other people would do. I would make sure that they would get food and I would care for them. I was a father to the needy. Is it just possible that one of the reasons Job was blessed was not just because of his business savvy and all those things, but because he was following the biblical pattern of caring for needy people? I want to suggest to you it is something we should embrace the Bible teaches us. Job had character, remember? Blameless, integrity. He walked with God. But it was on that foundation that God could trust him. Job took a portion of what he had, and he did what the Bible teaches us to do. He shared with people that were in need. Now, I want you to get beyond the fact that those people standing on state line are probably crooks, okay? Because usually when we talk about needy people, which I can guarantee you most of them are. I mean, we've, we've had people come to church, you know, and uh, as soon as they tell us their little story, how they work the corner, how they get money, go to the pawn shop, buy TV, or whatever the case is. I bet you eight or nine of them are charlatans. I don't know how to pick the one that's not. But I want you to move beyond the cynicism. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, an entitlement program and handouts like our government does. But I'm talking about you and I genuinely caring for poor, for needy people. Uh, my wife was in Haiti, and, and Rebecca and I were together during the weekend, and uh, we had a little daddy date, and of course it was a setup, and I enjoyed it. But we got in the mail. Rebecca's old enough. She's got her favorite little girl store in the mall. I think it's called Justice, maybe. Well, we had a sign from heaven come in our mailbox, 40% off on whatever you buy at Justice. It had to be God, and she convinced me it was, and we had a fun little time there. But it didn't stop there. It went to the candy store. You know how it goes, and... But, but anyway, 
We get back home and she gets to thinking that she needs a little bigger wardrobe and that coupon is usable for more than one time. And I said, okay, honey, I'll take you back, but I want you to find... Well, we were talking about her school. She said, oh, Daddy, everybody in school wears their clothes from Justice. I said, everybody? She said, no, there's some poor people and they wear the same clothes every day. And I said, well, honey, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take you back there, but I want you to find somebody from your school or maybe even someone in our church that doesn't have as much as you're able to have and we're going to buy something for them too because I want you to remember the poor, to remember the... Are you with me today? So this is not just a theoretical message. I hope generosity begins to spill over in your world that you begin to care people because God watches that. It gets His attention. You see, God promises to bless us when we take care of the poor and needy. Proverbs 22, 9. Think about this now. Blessed are those who are generous because they... Blessed are those who are generous. Pastor Jay and Linda in Haiti, all the missionaries that I love and have deep heart for, they all have feeding ministries and care for the poor and needy. So whether it's, a, you know, some missions dollars or people right here in Texarkana, it touches the heart of God. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. They say, is there any poor among you? Well, don't be selfish or greedy towards them. But give freely to them. Give freely to them and freely give them whatever they need. Oh, you, can't tell, you can't tell me I'm supposed to give away stuff. Oh, yeah, because the Bible says in verse 10, the Lord your God will bless your work and everything you touch. It, it, it's almost, it's an investment that's better than stocks. Come on. It's an investment that will have God behind it when you care for people. Now, let me be quick to say this. You don't give to people just to get back from God. We've already covered that ground. That's Christian greed in disguise. But your giving to the poor is God's reward because you care for people. See, caring for the poor and needy is a biblical responsibility. It's God's idea. Um, in the book of Acts, you remember what happened in Acts? Uh, Christians from all over the Roman Empire came for the celebration of Pentecost. They get saved. They don't have anywhere to go. They can't get jobs because Christians are ostracized. So what happens? People that had lands and houses sold their property. They brought it to the apostles and they began to care for one another. Can I tell you, some of what you own today, God might want to use to be able to help someone. That's why you can't hold on to life too tightly. Otherwise, you'll end up like the rich young ruler. When the Lord wants you to do something to care for people, you'll walk away from Christ because we love money more than God. I mean, no, Jesus said you can't have two masters. You'll love the one and you'll hate the other. It happened in Acts. You know, Jesus, Peter, and Paul all taught and modeled caring and sharing with the poor. John the Baptist said, if you have two coats, what are you supposed to do with one? Yeah, give one away. Give to one someone who, who's in need. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the impoverished Jews in Jerusalem, 2 Corinthians eight fourteen. He said, right now you have plenty and you can help those in need. So I hope you do that. You, you know Christians have built more hospitals, more orphanages, and have fed more people around the world than any other group, organization, or government. Why is that? It's because at the heart of the gospel is the second commandment that says, love your neighbor yeah, it's what Christianity is, is, is all about. Uh, it, you'll stretch yourself to find hospitals that don't have Catholic, come on, Methodist, Baptist. Why is that? It's because Christians are supposed to care. Let me tell you this. You will lose everything you have if you spend it all on yourself. Now, you may not lose it today, but down the road, you will lose. Let me give you three examples in the Bible. Remember Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus, the Bible says, begged to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. 
And implicit in that is, that's all that God gave him was crumbs. But guess where the story ends up next? One of us is in paradise en route to heaven. One of us is in Hades en route to hell. Who do you think ended up in paradise? It was Lazarus. See, and it was not that because he had money that he ended up in Hades. It was because he consumed it all on himself. You know, is that, that's not enough. Think of the story of the man. It was a farmer. Jesus told a parable. He had a wealthy, he was a wealthy man. His crops were just inordinate, had lots of money. And he said, what shall I do with all my excess? He said, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I'm going to keep it for myself. And I'm going to say, eat, drink, and yeah, just enjoy life. And what did God say to him? You fool. This night... Your soul is going to be required of you. Hey, how about the rich young ruler or the rich young man? And Jesus told him the story. He said, what do I have to do for eternal life? And Jesus gave him a few commandments. He said, I've done all those. And Jesus looked into his heart. He said, you only lack one thing. I want you to take what you have. I want you to sell it and give it to who? Yeah. And then I want you to follow me and I'll give you eternal life. But what did he do? He turned his back and he walked away from Christ. Because if you don't open your heart to share with people... It'll cost you in the end. Come on, give the Lord a big hand this morning. Turn in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. So that's kind of the first part. It's a two-part message. It's all under the umbrella of, walk, of living the blessed life in the favor of God. But I want to talk about something that is vastly under, misunderstood in America today. It's about the purpose of work. And do you know your work is the primary way God provides for you? Look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, verse 17, God is speaking to Adam after the fall in Eden. Verse 17, God said, You ate from the fruit of the tree which I commanded you not to eat. And because of this, I'm going to put a curse on the ground and you will have to work. You're going to have to work for your food. You're going to have to get up in the morning. And in Adam's case... Uh, he had to garden. He had to, he, had to, he had to labor. Now, God is still behind the provision. God still makes the apple grow. But it's not automatic and easy anymore. Now you've got to labor to get it. And can I tell you this, my friend? It is a pattern for life. It is one of the fruits of sin. Adam sinned. We all have to work. And your work is the primary means God will care for you in the future. I'm telling you, most of the wealth that will ever flow into your hands is not because it just comes out of heaven like rain. See, you can often listen to messages like the blessing on the tither or, or caring for the poor. And the assumption is, I'm going to my mailbox and it's going to be money, money, money. It doesn't work that way. Now, God can supernaturally do things. He fed Israel supernaturally for 40 years in the wilderness. But once they stepped into the promised land, the supernatural stopped and they had to go back to work. You know, Peter got his tax money uh, in a fish's mouth, but it was only one time. The rest of his life, he had to catch fish and sell fish. So I'm telling you, your work, your labor. And if you don't work, guess what? You're not going to have any. Okay, we're, let's, let's get into this. I think, I think you, you'll learn something maybe. Do you know every able-bodied uh, able person in the Bible was expected to work? Now, the Bible made exceptions for people that were just disabled, for the elderly, but every able-bodied person in the Bible had to work. Now, there's a couple exceptions if you were a king or if you were wealthy, but by and large, all of us have to work. How many know Jesus just didn't preach and pray all the time? Well, what did Jesus do? He was a carpenter. 
Why do you think he was a carpenter? Well, he just, he just enjoyed woodwork and he liked making things. And no, no, that's how he ate. What did Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament? What was he? He was a, he was a tent maker. Which simply means, now he had some support for the ministry, but most of what Paul, Paul would just go in town and he'd go to work. He'd set up a job and he said, I can fix your tent. He'd be walking down the, the uh, let's say, the, the road and he'd see someone with a broken tent or he'd see someone that would have a bigger family that needed one. He said, I can fix that. Well, what will it cost? It'll cost you whatever it costs, $10, $20, $100. Okay, and that's what Paul would do. And here's the deal. Becoming wealthy is not the right of every American. Living and enjoying the good life is not your right just because you're an American. I want to tell you, successful people work. Now, I know you're thinking of exceptions, but you're probably not going to win the lottery. I hope you don't waste your money. See, you're probably not going to get struck by lightning. You understand? You're probably not going to get a mega inheritance. And if you're not a worker, you'll waste it. But wealth is not a guaranteed right for people. Listen to me. No one may have ever told you this, but I want to tell you this morning. Successful people work. We live in a society today, and you better listen to this, because in America today, the middle class is quickly disappearing. In America, the working poor are increasing. It's going to get worse. Gas is going to $4. Who knows where it might even go from there? Now, you look at the Middle East, you may not care. If they shut Libyan oil fields, they're projecting gas. It could go for $200 a barrel. I mean, it could just happen just after that. More people are struggling in life. The middle class is disappearing. It's been happening. That is why it is so important for you, for your children, to be able to give yourself towards the development of a career that will be able to provide for you. Well, I thought God was just going to take care of me. He is. But He's going to use the labor of your hands. And you live in a world, listen, that is, it, it just has cause and effect that's at work in it. You know, some people want to, well, I'm going to give my tithe, but I ain't getting out of bed because I'm lazy and you're thinking you're going to be blessed. You will be poor. You're pretty quiet now. Do you know Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says, When we were with you, Paul said, we gave you this rule, anyone who refuses to work, now, it didn't say anyone who doesn't work. An elderly person might not be able to work. A disabled person might not be able to work. A child might not be able to work. But anyone who is able to and refuses to work should have consequences to that behavior. And you need to teach your children this too. It's going to sneak up on them. Now, America has lost her work ethic. You, you might want to put on your seatbelt because I may offend you here. Don't, don't walk out on me. Sociologists tell us that it was the Protestant work ethic that was the driving force behind the Industrial Revolution. What does that mean? That is, the people that caused America to be great, a nation that was founded as one nation under God. Come on. We learn from the Bible the role of work. And people begin to work in America. And because we work, we prospered. And things begin to grow. And people begin to acquire resources and property and land. And before you know it, America has become not only the world's military superpower, but we became the economic superpower in the world. And a sociologist will be honest enough to tell you, people work to make it happen. Now, something's happened, though, since that time. We were prospering, but today America has become a nation of entitlements and victims. Let me say it again. There is an expectation... Virtually all the young people that are exposed to this in the world, many adults believe that a good life is owed to them. 
that just because you are cute or you are the man, come on, that you deserve to be wealthy. It is a lie that you are believing. Welfare, as we know it, started after the Great Depression under FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It started as, a, it started as a, an opportunity when our nation was struggling, 30% or better unemployment, bread lines. Our nation said, we want to help. We want to build bridges and infrastructure and put people to work. We'll help those that cannot work. But something has happened to the good intentions of America. And first, let me say, I am grateful I live in a nation that we have programs set up to care for poor and needy people. Come on, let me hear an amen on that. I am grateful I live in a nation that a disabled person, that a person that is elderly and cannot work, that someone who has had the death of the breadwinner in their family, that there is some mechanism, social security, that there is a medical opportunity, that though it's not the best in the world, but if I get sick, if I hurt myself, I can go in an emergency room and I can get care. I am grateful I live in a nation that cares for people. But I want to tell you this, my friend, welfare as we know it is destroying people. Today, government handouts have created a permanent underclass and caused people to live below their God-given potential. Now, how are you listening to me right now? The world will teach you to listen to me and say, that is a, a white man and he's a racist and he's a bigot and he's prejudiced. Shame on you. I'm the same loving man that has stood before you for 20 years and opened the Bible and taught you truths about the Bible. Don't, we have let the world corrupt us. We have let the power behind the D, behind the R, and there's not much power behind the I and the L to corrupt, but we've let that power corrupt us and shape our thinking as people. And a lack of a work ethic is destroying people where there are multi-generations that have ra they've been raised in homes that they're not taught to work. They're, they're, they're taught that basically something is being owed you. If you just wait, you'll get more. Government becomes God your provider. And God never intended that to be. Generational welfare is the result. And you know if you are locked in that condition or you have family or friends, it is hard to get out when you are in that condition, when you don't have a parent, a grandparent, someone that is teaching you like Job to have character and to work hard and to make something of yourself. There are over 100 programs that duplicate themselves in America today. Our Congress is thinking about cutting some that will teach people how to work, that will get them jobs, that will get them educated. The problem is not there's a lack of opportunity. The problem is laziness. Now, listen to me this morning. The poor are paid not to work and in so doing are robbed of dignity and prosperity by politicians who just want power in your vote. You will, they, they will ride in limousines and airplanes and you will never be able to afford a car living. Listen, if you're just looking for someone else to take care of you, if you're in trouble in life, if you have hurt yourself, if you are disabled, if you are injured, if there's a calamity, you need help. That help used to come from the church, but the church's role has been shifted to the government, listen, because of taxation and because so few people actually tithe that the church limits has limited resources. But it's the church that can do a better job of helping people than a government program ever could. And we will help you in this church if you need help in this church, but we will not just hand out to you. 
We will not just give you with, quote, no strings attached. You need to get back on track and on board. Listen, the politicians of the world, those that are making money off of the prejudice in our hearts that they created, have created a class warfare that causes the poor to envy, out of envy, to hate the rich and to believe that the rich have responsibility to give it all to the poor so we'd all be poor like Cuba. Is it okay to talk this candid in church? The pulpits of the past, I heard David Barton speak this week, a history of America where you can go back and find volumes of messages where the truth, the ethics, the thinking of the culture was not shaped by the world, it was shaped by the church because God has an opinion on everything, my friend. And the Bible says if you don't work, you do not eat. Now, just in case I hadn't quite grabbed you, I want you to look. If you don't think this is a problem, look at this 30-second spot, this commercial. Can you give me 10 more minutes this morning? Who give me five? Let me see your hand. No, I don't need that much. I just need 10. Okay. All right. Hang with me. I want you to see this. And this is a true commercial. Pastor Nick and I called the number and checked it out. The government will pay for you to have a free cell phone with monthly minutes. Got food stamps, Medicaid, housing assistance, or SSI? Then you may qualify for a free cell phone with free monthly minutes and free voicemail. Take advantage of your benefits today. There's no contract, no credit check, and no deposit required. Call now to see if you qualify. 877-818-RING or go to usafreesell.com. These are your benefits, so don't miss out. Operators are standing by. Don't bother dialing the number. It doesn't work for Texarkana. They'll talk to you. I suspect, though, that the target audience lives in a different city that voted a different way the last election. That's just the way that it works. Do you? Can you see that something is wrong with that picture? She didn't look disabled to me. She was a hottie modeling a cell phone. And you are, listen, listen, they are teaching people how to be lazy and how to steal. (laughs) Look, just keep your weapon in your pocket, okay? Don't take out on me. I'm just telling you, you will always live in poverty if you live by that mentality. But I need a cell phone. You do need a cell phone. But you need to go and make a life for yourself and not just expect somebody to give it to you. Laziness will make you poor. Proverbs 12, 24. Hard workers will become leaders. Those who are lazy will be... Has nothing to do with your race. Lazy people will become a slave. Proverbs 13, 4. Lazy people want much. But what's it say? They get little, but those who work hard don't... If you work hard, you could get maybe more than 68 minutes on your cell phone. Maybe get you an iPhone or whatever you want. Get two, three. I don't care. But I'm telling you... Now, here's a problem too. Just because you work hard doesn't mean that you're going to be wealthy. I know a lot of good godly people that work hard and, 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 and you don't get a lot. That's, that's another issue. I mean, listen, well, the problem in America was not created yesterday. The problem in America has been around for generations now. And if it took a couple of generations to get a family in a ditch, somebody's going to have to work at getting it out for a little while. Are, are you with? But let me tell you, you and God can get yourself out of that ditch because you are not bound 
by the laws that govern this world. Let, let, me, let me give you some advice. And I, I'm going to wrap this. I'm going to wrap this. Let me say this to you. And I want young people, I want you to listen to me. Life is not about just having fun. You earn the right to have fun by working. Let me say it again. Life is not about just have. You don't have a right to have fun. Having You earn, when you make money, you earn the ability to have fun. I want you to listen to me just now. I'll give you some pastoral advice. To parents, but I want you young people to listen to me too. If you don't learn to work, you will struggle the rest of your life. Because the government is broke. The best our president could come up with is to tell us this next year we're going to have another multi-trillion dollar deficit, 1.5 I think, and that's not counting the money they're stealing when they steal your Social Security and your Medicaid. And it's trillion dollar deficits. And now those people in Washington cannot even figure out how to drop just a couple billion dollars, which is like less than 1% because they don't want to make anybody mad at them because they know when they touch your money, your entitlement, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have a hissy fit like they're doing in Wisconsin right now and wreck the Capitol building, cost $7 million to clean it up after the hissy fit. I'm telling you, at some point, people will not loan America money to keep throwing at stuff and it's just a matter of when, and you're not going to have somebody. Are you with me today? So, so, I'm glad my dad made me work. I had the privilege I was raised on a farm. There's a, God has really blessed our church in a great way. But I want to tell you, what, what little small measure of success I enjoy in life, part of it is because I work. Most of the time here, I've worked six days a week since I've been serving as your pastor here. I'm not sure if you're sorry for me, I'm just telling you. I've learned to work. When I, I put myself through school, I went to the Navy, I got a bachelor's degree, I got a master's degree, I worked my way through school. Are you with me? I, I'm very grateful the VA benefit helped me a little bit pay my college, but whatever I had to borrow, I had to pay back. That is the way life works. And it started when my dad, when I was, you know, in my early teenage years, I was on a tractor seat at 10 years of age. Not real long, but a little while. But as I grew older, I didn't have a choice whether I was going to get up or not. Dad would get me at 7 in the morning. I was on a tractor seat. I was going to work. And I wasn't having fun, and I didn't want to quite often. But I learned to enjoy what I was doing with my life. And the first time Dad would try to wake me up, I said, uh, especially as I got older and I had other things at night that kind of made me go, uh. But when he come up, he pulled the cover off one time and said, get my you-know-what out of that bed. And I, I didn't have a choice. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you how it works. I have a son, and I decided I was going to teach him a work ethic. It's not easy. There's not a lot of farm projects to do, but I'm going to tell you where his farm was. It was out on our playground with uh, gumballs and, and pine needles. And we had, would have several come-to-Jesus meetings in your park. I am glad it was not recorded. I'm glad a policeman wasn't there. We were just two banny roosters wanting to buck up against other. You're going to rake that. So nobody else has to work. You're going to work. I don't care what anybody else has to do. You're going to work. And just you stay out there. You get some water. I'll bring you something. But you're going to work. And you know what? He did. 
And then before you know it, he's working. He's older, likes making a little money. When we landscaped the front of the property out here, it was in August when they finished that pretty rock work. And the landscaping crew from, was from out of town, they weren't able to clean it up before Sunday. I said, I'll pay you a little bit of money, whatever it was. I want you to come pick those rocks up. He just said, okay, Dad. He goes, it's 100 degrees outside, sweating like a pig, looking buff there with a the suntan, of course, but sweating like a pig. Uh, the landscaper drove up to oversee the property, and I told her where he was going to school, going to college in the same town he was working in. She says, I'll give him a job because most of the people that work for me won't work. I talked to a man last night that, uh, that uh, manages a factory in uh, uh, Nashville. He said, I'll hire as many people as available if they'll work. And that's the problem, I think. Laziness is destroying people. Right now, my son, he's 22. He's got an accounting degree, top of his class. He just got his, he's, he's qualified for a CPA license, and he's working on an MBA degree at 22. Well, it's because he's, you know, the right side of the... He is not. It's because something got a hold of him somewhere. He didn't have that in high school. But somewhere along the journey, something got a hold of him. And I want to tell you, you need it, young person, if you're going to be successful. And you need to give it to your kids if they're going to be successful. Otherwise, they'll be living at home with you the rest of their life. I'm done. Give the Lord a big hand. Let me close with this scripture and then we'll have a word of prayer. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. Paul's last words to the elders at Ephesus. He said, I've never coveted anyone's silver, gold, or fine clothes. In other words, I didn't, I didn't steal from people. I didn't want what they had. You know, these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and the needs of those with me. Now, isn't that a novel idea of why you work? So I can take care of my needs, but also so I can help other people. I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by... One of the most spiritual men who've ever lived said, I work hard, and then I use part of that to care for people. You remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Receiving's pretty good, but if blessed, if it's a greater blessing on the other side, how I many know I want that? See, the blessing, I don't know where it is. I don't know if it's God's provision for you tomorrow because you're a giver or generous, or if it's in heaven, but I want to tell you, here's a God that modeled it all. So I want to encourage you, embrace the same thing. Now let me ask you a question. Let's, let's get real and let's respond to God. How many are honest enough and would say, the Holy Spirit has spoken to me about something in my life and my family today? Let me see your hand. Come on. You don't have to tell me what it is. The Holy Spirit spoken to me. That's what's supposed to happen in every service. God's supposed to speak to us. Now here's my challenge to you. Do what He says to do. Don't be a hearer of the Word. Be a doer. And more than likely, it's not going to be easy. But you do it because it's the right thing to do. How I many know God will never lead you on a bad path? Here's how we're going to close the service. We're going to have a time of prayer. I'd like to offer this to you. Our prayer team is going to be here. They're going to take some oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And if you would like them to anoint your hands, that God would bless your job, your business. If you want in a fresh way to recognize God's my provider. And here's what I heard a businessman say. I heard a businessman say, that, you know, I used to dedicate my business to God, and then I finally gave it to God. But you may want to ask for God's favor. We'd love to pray for you. But we'll pray for you for anything, any need you have. 
You may be sick in your body. You may want to be anointed with oil and pray that God would heal you. We still believe that. It's in the book of James. We'll pray for you. You may have someone else that you know and care about that's having troubles. and They need prayer. We'll pray for them. What we're going to do in just a second, the congregation's going to stand and they're going to sing a song through one time and after that we'll dismiss. But when everybody stands, our prayer team is going to come. I want you to just come right behind them and let us pray for you. We'll be here as long as you need us. Now let me ask one more thing before we, we, we pray. You're here this morning and you'll say, Pastor, I learned something about money, and, but my problem is bigger than money and my problem is bigger than work. I need to get right with God today. I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with Christ. And I want to tell you, friends, there's nothing any bigger than that. I want to encourage you today, don't leave this church without having gotten right with God, without having asked for God's forgiveness and putting yourself on the course to follow Him. See, all of us have opportunity to get off the path. If you've gotten off the path in your walk with God, get back on today. Ask for Christ's forgiveness. Recommit your life. Let us pray for you. Let us help you. Let us give you something that will show you how to live the Christian life. Whether it's the first time you've committed your life or you've gotten off board and you want to get back on today, let today be the day where you put Christ in the center of your world. And I promise, friends, the rest of your life will benefit from it. If you're here today and say, Pastor, you're talking to me right now, I want to get right with God this morning. I want you to lift your hand real quickly. Do it quickly. I'm way out of time this morning. God bless you, girl. God bless you, too. Give him a big hand. God bless you. Somebody else. I want to get right with God today. Anybody else this morning? I want to get right with God before I leave this place today. All right, why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet right now. Our prayer team is coming. Girls, why don't you come up? Let somebody pray with you. Bring your friend with you. Others, come on. Give them one more hand. God bless these two girls. Somebody else. I need to get right with God today. You come. If you want prayer for anything, you come. Someone will stand with you today. Let's go ahead and sing, Pastor Nick. Fall on my knee and I worship you.